down, breaking nerve, shaking, charismatic, multifaceted sound, the dig's matic. Uh, Tom digs the brand you can trust and trust. I bust daily and such. I cuss really, but sometimes. Hello and welcome. This is a guest in the house. I am one of your co-hosts, Mickey Hess. And I am your other co-host, David Tromdig Shanks. David Tromdig Shanks. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tromdigs so, in quotations. Tromdigs in quotations, a.k.a. <laughs> or is it P.K.A.? Tromdigs. P.K.A. or F.K.A. Yeah, professionally know, known as. Professionally yeah. known as. Formally known <laughs> professionally as. Professionally known know. as. <laughs> it Hopefully works, not formally, man. right? Yeah. So behind the scenes of our podcast, yes. for all you listeners out there, we had a little squabble a couple of weeks ago. I wouldn't mm. even call it squabble, but uh, so I saw on our official Instagram account for the podcast, somebody had posted something referring to a white producer celebration, <laughs> and instantly I was like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's funny in context, but I'm afraid if somebody sees this and that's their first impression of podcasts that I participate in, it's going to look like a white guy celebrating white guys. And that is just never a good look. So I sent a text because I thought our producer, Anthony, handled the Instagram. And so I wrote, hey, Anthony, any chance we could revise that last Instagram post to someone just scrolling and unfamiliar? It could look like our podcast is calling for a white boy summer, in quotation marks, like Chet Hanks. In context, the episode and our other combos on the pod, nobody's going to think that. But out of context, we could look like exactly what we don't want to. It turns out it wasn't Anthony. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> it was my co-host David Tromdig Shanks who had yes. done that post. Who is um what 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 am I um openly black? Am I right? Open that thing. That's right. <laughs> that's that's what they're calling it these days. Yeah, on yeah. Uh, was it CNN? I believe yeah, is where that came yeah, from. Yeah, openly true. Openly, yeah, not a closet black. <laughs> so Dave took it down. Um. And then he wrote me up. It, it, you mind if I quote your text? Sure thing. Okay. He just wrote like a little nod, took it down, um, said, I might feel like you worry too much about that stuff and that you have long established yourself as not that guy, especially to our listeners, but I also have to be sensitive to your experience. That's always the good one. They can't That's get good, mad right? at you when you end. I, I, I <laughs> That's good, that right? I must be sensitive to your experience. <laughs> That's very tactful. I appreciate yeah. that. I learned that from um <laughs> I learned that from living with a woman. I'm just gonna keep <laughs> <laughs> So that's the kind of thing you'd even say out loud. You know what I'm no, listen. <laughs> listen. Hey, yeah, I'm sensitive to your experience. I understand that you Thank may you. see things how you see them. And hey. although I may not see them that way, that's not important. What's important? is acknowledging how you feel. Ooh, and, and that's all I could ever ask of a co-host. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is, that is classic cohabitation. Um, Ooh, okay. There, yeah. So I see where that comes from. I do. Yeah. So do I worry too much about that stuff? That's a good question. I think, I mean, listen. Yeah. And again, um, 
I got your back, man. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm black, black as, as they, <laughs> as they say, as, right? as openly as it gets. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I would never put something up there that I thought, you know what I mean? Would get you in trouble. Yeah. And I mean, but, I don't even know uh, if I'm worried about getting in trouble necessarily, you know? And you know what I mean? I know. And like I in the, in, I think a lot of what we do is context, you mm-hmm. know? And I think one of the, the, uh, I don't know what's the word. One of the aspects of our show that I think people most enjoy is um, our sarcasm mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and um, our <laughs> our ability to put things into context. So, yeah. in building, um, you know, marketing promotion or whatever for our. Um, little podcast here, you know, I always try to find the clips that kind of display us putting that context and sarcasm and things mm-hmm. of that nature to work. But we do live in a tense second soundbite clip. That's it. Culture. Man. And I guess, like I said, I see where you come from in that that could be used for xyz i also lean on the that's not the worst thing that could happen either <laughs> because if that's true. gonna draw like we can easily get ourselves out of that because you're not that guy and you host a podcast with a black dude so we're fine but if that was going to get us attention because someone did see that mm. that's not the worst thing that could happen that's how i look at it so, but, but to take it a little know, further, like if I if I were accused of having hmm, fostered a racist attitude, I couldn't exactly jump out and say, no, man, I, I, I co-host a podcast with a black friend of mine. Well, no, but I posted the clip. True. And all That's you'd have to do, all you'd have to do is listen to 10 more seconds of that <laughs> clip and you'd know you'd have context and That's then right. you'd say, Oh, this was all about nothing. But then you might actually end up listening to the whole exactly. podcast. That's my point. Ah, so really it was a joke we made about like, well, we just talked about two white producers for like five minutes. Correct. Right. Yeah. So Correct. yeah. And that was kind of weird for me too. Cause I don't know if I would have even suggested editing, editing or revising that post if I had known you made it. See, I was thinking Anthony made it, our producer, who's another white guy. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. And you know, it goes back to our conversation about the Apple Watch band, the red, black, and green, a couple episodes back. In the back of my mind the whole time, I was thinking like, oh my God, what if by any slim chance it were a black executive or creative at Apple who designed this? And now I'm a white dude on a podcast making fun of it. Mm. Like in mm. a lot of ways, I can't imagine it was. But if I were wrong, eh, that could be a little fucked up. Uh, if Apple was a black owned company. Mm. Okay. Then I'd see your point. 
But even if a black, even if the black creative, because the, they the black creatives did create it. That's what they said. The black that's creatives. That's what they said. Yeah, in collaboration. So, with black <laughs> even if the black creatives made it, <laughs> it's still it's Apple, and it you know it's still it still comes off how it comes off. So you have every right yeah. to make a joke about it. You know what I mean? Uh, and in collaboration with, I always imagine like the white guys have put it together. They lean their heads into the, the black dude's cubicle and say, Hey man, you like this? Cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In collaboration. Exactly. exactly. And so, but like I said, I would never want, even in me doing mm-hmm. that. And even in your response and my response to your response saying like, if, if there was an uproar, mm-hmm. then we'd be on. But <laughs> <laughs> I would never want to do that at the expense of like your reputation or your like, you know, standing. Yeah. And I don't even know if my mind went there exactly. It was more like if this were somebody's first impression of the podcast, a white producer celebration, that was the first thing they saw about it. Is that the best introduction? I wasn't even worried about like, you know, oh man, I'm going to get canceled. (laughs) I'm going to get some mean tweets. Yeah. And I looked at it like, we've got like 30 followers and they all know exactly (laughs) what we're talking about. And if someone, if someone saw that and said, oh snap, it's a white producer celebration. Let me listen to the (laughs) podcast because I want to. It involve myself in a white producer celebration, then they would quickly understand context. Uh-huh. And if someone was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> a white producer celebration? Let me listen to this so that I can cancel someone. They'll learn, <laughs> quickly learn context. So I thought it was a win-win across the board. And I've made you take it down, man. It's all because <laughs> I know that uh, I need see? to be sensitive to yeah, my so- co-host's <laughs> feelings sensitive to my experience that's so now coming out of that Uh um in that episode we talked about expanding our white producer celebration to a large-scale white participation in in hip-hop celebration. I don't know how I'm going to promo this episode. See, I think I I wanted to call it a white rapper extravaganza. There you go, a white rapper extravaganza. So I'm going to let you pick the clip (laughs) for this one. Yeah, I'll do the Instagram post on this one. Now, how about this? Mm -hmm. How about you do that, and then I'm now fearful that I'm going to get accused of being the black hip hop artist who wants to participate in a white MC extravaganza. No way to win. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think we should call it that. Probably. (laughs) I think we should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like something I've written about quite a bit is white rappers, but my approach has always been like, you know, what are these strategies and stories that white rappers have told over the years to sort of convince people that they belong on stage, you know, that they've earned their spot, that they're not a gimmick 
um, that they had to work at least as hard as their black peers to make it in hip hop. And sometimes yeah. it gets pretty silly. I mean, some people have a legit story. Some people have a, a, a far from legit story. So you sent me this article. I believe you um, wrote it back in 2005. Came out in 2005. Yeah, it's one okay. of the, the first uh, academic journal articles I wrote to published. Very cool. That's You were at Indiana at that time, right? I was. That was right. It was before I came to New Jersey. Awesome. And so I found it... Um, fascinating i realize every time i read your academic um papers i realize why i'm not an academic per se <laughs> because half the shit is references and i'm like yo how does oh, he have yeah. so many damn references who did you read all of those articles yeah that's insane yeah so, <laughs> i'm like yeah let me just rap so i can just give <laughs> my opinion i don't want all these damn, i don't want to have to find all these references <laughs> but um you never yeah, throw you know, in a like rakim said you never yeah, throw in a yeah. reference like that you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. Sure, absolutely. Or sampling—that's a form of, of citation. Just referencing, reference, yeah. Right? You're you're absolutely right. That's that's actually good. You're absolutely right. But um, yeah, I I really um took this article in. I sat and I really took it in. And oh, so cool, man! Thank you. I wanted to um, and I'm gonna let you take the lead on this because I want you to talk about these kind of big three mm. um pillars of like white rapper participation in hip hop talked mm. about immersion imitation and inversion i want you to yeah. pick up from there and kind of give a quick you know on all three and then um if you're down mm. i wanted to kind of go through these errors or go through some of the you know our favorite white MCs from different eras and kind of, um, you know, discuss where they land on the immersion, imitation, and inversion paradigm. Yeah, so it really will be a white rapper extravaganza. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I, when I bring this stuff up when I teach or when I present at conferences or panels or anything, you know, what I'm really trying to look at is just like these, I guess you call them rhetorical strategies, what I called it in the old article, that white rappers use to sort of claim that, you know, hey, I know hip hop is a black created form. I know it's part of African-American culture, but here's why I deserve to do it. You know, mm -hmm. here, here's why I deserve to be on stage making this money for the listeners. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily that I think, you know, out of, a, say, a 16-week semester um, if I'm teaching a hip hop class, we got to spend a week on white rappers because they're just so talented and important and influential. It's not that. I think it's just kind of an interesting dynamic in the music because in America, there's just not a lot of places where white men in particular have to walk in and sort of justify what they're doing there. Mm. You know, like, mm. White American men tend to just walk in as if they own the fucking place, no matter where they're at, right? The actual art form may be the art form of hip-hop may be the only place other than a basketball court <laughs> yeah and, and only certain basketball courts very true yeah yeah i mean I, I think that's what's always interested me about it is because you know going back through the years of white rappers there's always been such an effort 
to kind of excuse and justify and say like, okay, so so here's who I am and here's how I fit in. Mm-hmm. And that's rare for, for white men. Mm. Um, it's rare that they even feel much of a need or that we even feel much of a need to do that. Mm. So or, or, and, and, go for and it. not even, yeah, even more so it does, it doesn't even come. It's completely unnecessary. It's never, it's never a thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's never even a thought. It's not like you're thinking about it and then going, oh, I'm not going to do that. It's literally, you don't have to do it. Exactly. Think about it. You don't have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I think think white folks, that's really the luxury of white privilege or the advantage of being white in the U.S. especially is- Very much so. You're the default. You're the default. You always kind (laughs) of feel like you belong for Mm -hmm. the most part, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So with hip hop, it's always been really interesting to me that there's this effort to justify or explain, you know, here's what I'm doing here. Mm. So again, you know, I I published this way back in 2005 and I I talked about like these three strategies I'd seen from white rappers and sort of three eras that it had gone through at that time. So it's definitely in need of updating. Um, You know, I've written a few things since then that sort of glanced at updating it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so back in 2005... Um, I identified these three strategies, and it was, uh, as Dave said, imitation and immersion mm-hmm. and inversion. Mm-hmm. So the first one, immersion, I guess I did them out of order. Immersion is sort of like, for the most part, the Beastie Boys was my mm-hmm. example for this. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the protégés of Run DMC. Um, they were always hanging around the Def Jam offices, even back when the Def Jam office was Rick Rubin's dorm room. Um, Russell Simmons was their manager. They discovered a little Cool J. They mm-hmm. were just sort of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're, we're so present in that hip hop scene that Def Jam created. Their claim was sort of just like, we've always been here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we're, mm-hmm. we're immersed in this culture mm-hmm. we really do this mm-hmm. now not to say that they didn't have some slip-ups um i mentioned a couple stories like uh dr dre their original dj who was the the co-host of your mtv raps with ed lover yeah. um, he used to dj for the beastie boys and he said that ad rock used the n-word when the beastie boys performed at the apollo mm-hmm. um the beastie boys claim they never used it <laughs> um, so who knows what the truth is? Dre said he had it on tape, but I don't mm. think the tape has ever really surfaced. Mm. Um, but the idea was they got too comfortable. Right. Right. And, and used a word on stage at the Apollo that, that three white guys should not be using on stage at the Apollo or anywhere. Right. Um, so essentially they were just kind of there. They were part of the scene. Um, they had close ties to Run DMC and Russell Simmons. And at that time in 1980s hip hop, you don't get much more connected than Run DMC and Russell Simmons. Very true. That's the plug. That's it. Now, imitation. Mm-hmm. My example for that was Vanilla Ice. Mm. He didn't really have those connections, <laughs> to say the least. Um, came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. Came out of suburban Dallas. Mm-hmm. Suburbs of Dallas. Um, had spent some time in a high school in Florida and tried to claim it was a little rougher of a school. 
<laughs> than it in fact was. Mm -hmm. um, tried to even say like he went to the same school as Luther Campbell of Two Live Crew. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, Luther Campbell was sort of like, I, I certainly don't know this guy. <laughs> it's not someone I've interacted with. Right. No so, Robert Van Winkle in No the Robert Van Winkle, yeah. yeah. So when Vanilla Ice came out, he and or his label told a bunch of lies about where he came from. Mm -hmm. um, they talked about like a knife fight that he'd been in. Mm. Um, I think he still claims he got stabbed in the butt. I think uh, that's still something he claims was absolutely true. <laughs> but, you know, some people looked into his background, um, particularly a, a journalist. Notably, yep. Yeah, yep. A journalist at the Dallas Morning News, mm -hmm. who very interestingly, as a side note, had his own plagiarism scandal. A few years later. Look at the pot calling the kettle black. Isn't or, that a little white. crazy? Or white. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Vanilla Ice would say things like he was from the hood. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I'm saying? Original, you, know what you know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> uh, he said he strapped on his Jimmy in one mm -hmm. song. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose he meant Jimmy Hat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or maybe he strapped on a Jimmy, man. Maybe I don't know. He strapped on his <laughs> hey, Jimmy. listen. Yeah. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever goes, whatever does for you, right? <laughs> so yeah, if you're if you were listening to the Jungle Brothers of De La Soul back in that era, you would hear the word Jimmy thrown around, and it was a word for dick. Yep, Jim Browski. Jim Browski. Mm -hmm. Um, the Jimmy hat would be a condom. Yeah. So when Vanilla Ice says he strapped on his Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> I think he he misunderstood the slang. Yeah, uh, yeah, as yeah. they tend to. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little emblematic. You know, he got taken down um, by a journalist from the Dallas Morning News, a black journalist, Ken Parrish Perkins, broke this story that he'd found Vanilla Ice's actual high school yearbook. He'd interviewed mm. people who knew him. He just was not the guy that his label had advertised him to be. Mm. So that was imitation. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about, real quick, because sure. um, you went on in the article... You spoke about him becoming kind of the scapegoat. Yeah. But um, I think it's important in imitation mm -hmm. that we kind of get into, and maybe we'll do this after you um, talk about inversion, but get into kind of like why he would think that, or other um, artists who followed that route, why the imitation of... Um, you 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 um quoted a article from Atricia Rose, mm -hmm. and I wrote down because I have a couple notes here. Highlights the significance of ghetto blackness as mm. a model of authenticity and hipness in rap music. Yeah, it's so it's black not black noise by Trisha Rose. The imitation is not is specific to creating a narrative of hard living and you know like the school of hard knocks and i oh, came yeah. up poor and i came up tough and i'm i'm about that life mm -hmm. you know what i mean i'll bust my gun i'll you know some of the um real and grossly exaggerated pathologies that exist in like <sighs> the impoverished and deprived communities of our country. I will not say yeah. urban. Yeah. And why that, you know, 
is connected to hip hop. Mm-hmm. And so much so that one would feel like if I can just do this, I'll be legit. Yeah. So that's yeah, the so- imitation we're talking about. Not just like imitating black, but mm-hmm. um a and we've we've talked about this on previous podcasts, like a monolithic vision of what blackness actually is. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Trisha Rose, her, her book, Black Noise, was one of the first academic book-length treatments of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in 94. And I think it's important in that quote that she uses the phrase ghetto blackness. Ghetto blackness. And still puts that in scare quotes. Like, yes, she to did. even distance herself from her own yes, term. As, yes. <laughs> so it's not blackness per se or even american blackness but it's ghetto blackness as a model of authenticity and hipness and rap music right and i contend that ghetto blackness in many ways is mainstream blackness Mm. it's it certainly seems to be the blackness that sells correct um in the mainstream so yeah I, i would agree that that's been the model um that's what a lot of corporations have been drawn to selling. Right. Which has created a, um, which we see manifest itself every day mm-hmm. in the world of when I think black, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about majority culture. Think black. That's, that's the, that's kind of the archetype. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really unfortunate for a lot of reasons. Which is what, <laughs> which is what happens when we um, when we hear comments um, regarding, you know, uh, former President Obama at the time when he was run, running. Like he's so articulate. Mm, yeah, as if it's a surprise. Because that's not the default. That's mm. not. That's the. Op- that's the exceptional. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like wow. He's so articulate. For a black guy. It's sort of that implied parentheses for yep. a black guy. Yep. Yeah, I mean, think of the number of times you've heard a white man in particular. White women can probably be thrown in here too, but how many times have you heard a white man described as articulate? Mm-hmm. Not many, I'm betting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, articulate is one of those adjectives that I think gets locked into use pretty much among white folks who feel like they're complimenting a black speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've heard a, a white man described as articulate. Mm-hmm. As if, you know, I think, in, and in the the person's mind, I think it can be intended to be a compliment or often it's not. Often they know exactly what they're saying. Well, true, true. And yeah. I think, I think I would say... Most often, folks, I would, I would, I would say it's generally a compliment, and I think mm. it's just what we said regarding that default of like this is standard. Ah, uh, um, you guys are not standard, so mm-hmm. when I perceive you being standard, that's exceptional for you. Mm. So that becomes he you're so articulate because I don't expect for you to be able to 
you'll convey your thoughts in any manner that mm-hmm. would impress me. Which yeah, goes back to I what think we that's talked really about, well said. about that archetype of blackness that is, mm-hmm. you know, ghetto blackness. Bla- ghetto blackness is blackness, loud, yell- inarticulate, you know, violent. You know, we're going all the way back to birth of a nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't go to Cornell West when they want to sell sneakers, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, there's they figured out what sells, um, and it, it is sort of this outlaw image, you know. The the that is part of what was hip hop's appeal and is hip hop's appeal to a lot of young white kids, right? Yes. Um, to the extent that it can even feel like, well, you know, I'm I'm sort of playing out this fantasy the same as I would pretend to be, you know, like a Italian mafioso or an old West cowboy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a, it it's it's rock and roll, right? When it becomes yeah. rock and roll, it's like rebel rebel culture. So True. you know what the skulls and the, the the leather vests and all of that were in the eighties is now like you know how I can really piss my mom off. Let me sag my pants and roll <laughs> one leg up and yeah. put my hat on backwards and get three gold chains and mm-hmm. that'll really piss her off. And, you know, you throw in the the 2021 overlay of saying, and, you know, I can show my white parents that I'm more woke than they are. Well, there's that part. Right. That's a whole other thing. But yeah, for sure. Which can be a contradiction when you're trying to do both at once. Like when for you're sure. trying to play into this rebel or outlaw culture as a fantasy, but you still consider yourself like uh, a proponent of these social causes. Yeah, absolutely. But I cut you off. Go bit, go into um the third Kind of pillar. Third, yeah. So we've been through immersion, immersion and through imitation. imitation. Yep. So inversion, is, that's the strategy I, I tied to Eminem. Mm. Because, you know, rather than try to say, you know, fake this existence that match, say like, you know, you can imagine Vanilla Ice was listening to Ice Cube and Ice T and was really excited about the stories they told in their music. So he tried to tell the same stories, you know, somebody's doing a drive-by on him. He has to get his gun. Mm-hmm. Um, he hadn't exactly lived that life, it turned out. So he was just imitating these stories he's heard. Mm-hmm. But you go to Eminem and you get this inversion. Um, especially early in his career, he made a lot of this point to say, like, I'm not another vanilla ice. Mm-hmm. I'm not fake. In fact, I'm so not fake that you could say I had it even harder because I was white. Mm. So he played into the, like, I'm actually a minority in what I do. And yeah. I've had to work twice as hard, you know, kind of like the, the you know, like the, the reverse narrative. I've had to work twice as hard to prove <laughs> that's it how good I am in this black dominated culture. That's it. Yeah, so he does admit that being white made it easy for him to sell records. Right. To kids who may not even listen to other hip-hop, they wanted somebody that looked like them. Mm -hmm. So it made the sales come easier and the platinum and gold come easier. But as far as just getting respect of his fellow practitioners, it made it a thousand times as hard Mm. because he was white. So he had to be that much better. He had to work that much harder. Which is an inversion of um, a lot of typical narratives you hear about how race works in the U.S. Right, 
Right. Right. And he pulls it off, I think, better at some times than others. I'm the uh, best, clearly. Cause... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you mean just in terms of skill? No, I just mean in terms of pulling that off because the yeah. results show that he's the best. <laughs> he's the best one to do it. Yeah, to the point even that I mentioned in the article, I think, when um, an old tape surfaced, well, it didn't surface, was produced by Benzino and mm-hmm. the source. Mm-hmm. Um, an old freestyle tape of Eminem as a teenager where he drops the N-word in his rhymes. Yeah. Um, which in all his official releases, he's always really avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, and he refers to a black girlfriend as a gold digger. Mm-hmm. Um, so Benzino brought this old tape out and tried to say like, you know, so see, this is who Eminem really is. And it was kind of a blip. Like he survived that just fine. In fact, I was um, in reading the articles and reading some of the reference articles that you provided. I didn't realize how many journalists came to the defense of yeah. Eminem, which is isn't that crazy? Yeah, which is yeah. And when you put it in context of what you said about Vanilla Ice being a scapegoat, yeah, Vanilla Ice is made kind of a, a mockery of for pretending to be something he isn't. Mm-hmm. When Eminem is accused of essentially being something he isn't because he's presenting himself as this, um, you know, he's doing the immersion and the inversion, right? So he's, he's this true hip hopper, this ally to the culture. And then he's shown, you know, or evidence comes up that that may not have been the case always or whatever, however you want to put it. Mm -hmm. Some of the responses were, well, he's so authentic that <laughs> why can't he use this word? You guys use this word. Yeah. And then it's almost like, is it fair that Eminem is not able to call black women gold diggers when every song mm-hmm. has disparaging remark towards black women? from black artists and that was a staunch kind of oh absolutely and you know some of the those journalists and authors who took that route and stood up for eminem were actually black authors mm. 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 And, and does that speak to their perception of authenticity and if you can convince, you know, folks of your authenticity, you'll get more leverage. I think so, right? I mean, um, he was pretty established. I mean, this happened in 2003. Um, well, well, yeah, Eminem was a pretty damn big star. Yeah. Pretty well established. It was going to be hard to get him out of there with that. Unless yeah. they had, unless there was... You know, I don't even know if it would have to have been like in 2003, probably, and him being off camera saying it to someone, and it probably still wouldn't yeah. have took him out, but it would have gave him some trouble. Yeah. But not, Definitely. not you know, not the Justin Bieber. Um, I, I'm, I'm making a Justin Bieber reference because you know he mm. got caught <laughs> kind of the same thing, um, harmonizing the N word when he was a kid. Yeah, and um, he, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So. 
that gets into a whole nother subject for another podcast, you know, about, you know, from a black artist standpoint, like, do we do it to ourselves? That's a whole nother <laughs> conversation. Oh, um, but yeah, I found that interesting, man. You know, because like I said, I think that Eminem kind of masterfully balanced the like, I never had it easy mm-hmm. from a culture standpoint and then acknowledged I'm privileged. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's walked that line masterfully. And then he did the immersion in the culture thing. Definitely. And said like, as a practitioner, I'm going to be as pure of a practitioner as possible. I'm going to be the most technically sound rapper maybe ever. And, you know, always paid homage to his influences. I mean, to this um, day, he he performs with like a different T-shirt. Oh, that's like yeah. his thing. He, he's a Big Daddy Kane T-shirt, Public Enemy T-shirt. Nice and smooth you know, T-shirt. Nice yeah. and smooth T-shirt. Like he, so, you know, he's, he's, he's done that masterfully. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, part of part of the immersion is showing mm-hmm. you know the history of the genre you know you Correct. know the culture you know who you're drawing from you know that you borrowed some stylistic features from Rakim Correct. you know how could you not right yeah so those were the three strategies sort of the three eras up to 2005 um so is that still it is that where we are or have things changed entirely there's always been this fear and I wrote about that a little bit in the article that like someday the floodgates are just going to open and hip hop's going to be stolen the way rock and roll is. It's going to be all white stars and people are going to forget its roots. You know, people are going to forget that it was black created, black mm. design. It came from black neighborhoods. Mm. It's never really happened though. You know, hip hop no. has been really careful to police and, uh, Gatekeep, I guess, is probably a better word. I'm not sure if that's what it is. Really? I'm not sure if that's what it is. Because I was thinking about this and, you know, as a quote unquote, like old school, you know, golden era hip hopper, we have a lot of like, you know, our little gripes with like the new, the newer generation. And on the one hand, I've always said like the easier and easier they make this art form, like the easier they make it to participate in, mm. the sooner that kind of co-optation mm. okay. or co-option will happen. Um, however, the uh, the long-standing, I guess, the difference between what makes hip hop so unique is that it is kind of like the pulse of young black culture, mm-hmm. and it has it continues to evolve, and you know, in some ways, devolve so fast you know what i mean like there's amigos and then there's you know what i mean a little baby and then Mm -hmm. like it's it goes too fast for it to be like copied 
And then like, you know, so folks pop up every once in a while and they're able to get in and make a ton of money and things of that nature. And, you know, but from an art firm standpoint, I think that it changes so fast that it's hard to say, hey, we've got to got a beat on this thing now. Mm, okay. And we know, how, you know what I mean? Because the creativity yeah. comes from, comes out of these young, mostly black artists from severe circumstances. Sure. And as long as that's like, the case and as long as kind of like that is what's cool you mm -hmm. know what i mean and then when you attach it to style we're talking about dress and you're talking about you know like everything that is hip-hop culture sure it's hard to get a beat on it man and i think maybe five ten years ago and i guess that's the argument against those of us purists kind of who say like it should be this way Mm -hmm. I think that if it stayed that one way, it was getting to a point where it was like, it was a little period of time where it's like, oh, these kind of these white guys are rapping better. Mm, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're they're yeah. They're, I've never hit that as a listener. <laughs> yeah, they're focusing on. I mean, you know, when the Mac Millers and the, and the, and mm. the Asher Ruff, like these guys can rap. Yeah, that wasn't the issue, right? It was like these guys can rap. So for now, we're talking about skill. If we're just making it a That's skill true. thing, some of these guys they can they can focus more on the skill because they've already got the whiteness. The whiteness yeah. is going to sell it, so they can just be skilled. But then it took a turn to like these melodies and these harmonies. That's some hard shit for white guys to come up with. <laughs> it just is. You know, that kind of just like, I have no script here. I'm just going to yeah. go into the studio and go, uh, uh, and like, it's just going to be soulful. It's just going to be a vibe, as the kids would say. It's hard. That's hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> and just the 808s and just the, you know what I mean? Like, it took a turn to where it was like, oh, we got to catch up to that now. And as yeah, long I mean, as that, it keeps doing that, yeah. I don't know that it will for will all, uh, it will really be able to be completely co-opted from a from the art form standpoint. The industry that's that's you know yeah we already talked about that and the commodification and of the art and all of that. So. They win in the Yeah, I mean, I, anyway. I would agree with you. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I can't see, you know, there's this this prediction I always quote from Havelock Nelson that, you know, I don't know if hip hop in the year 2050 will be white, but it damn sure could be. I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. I don't really see it happening. It would be, it, it, it would be tough. And I've, and I've dreaded, you know, the day when I go to whatever the equivalent of iTunes is in 2050 mm -hmm. And it looks like the jazz yeah. charts where, you know, if you go and you know, anybody wants, wants to do this experiment, just go to like <laughs> iTunes or, you know, and just kind of like look at like the new jazz releases. 
<laughs> and you know, Leroy Jones and Mary Baraka was writing about this in the sixties. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. 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 And you know, for hip hop, they've got this white guy co-hosting hip hop podcast. Yeah. Uh, he's writing books about it. He's teaching a class about it. I mean, maybe I'm part of the problem, right? But I also will say this, the difference between jazz and hip hop is that you can crush jazz or funk or, you know, our bands, you know, you know we don't really don't have any bands anymore because they took the music programs out of the school during that era. Like that's, those are the conditions that hip hop was created under. There were no music programs. So the geniuses were not, the geniuses in that environment were not getting into jazz. Mm. Hip hop is kind of, you know, hip hop's like alchemy. Hip hop is literally like taking nothing and creating magic. So it doesn't really require anything but like feeling. (laughs) And so that's going to be a tough thing to destroy. And I mean, less and less all the time. You can make it on your iPad. (laughs) It's you literally can make it on. You don't even need studio time anymore. We needed studio time. We at least needed a (laughs) hundred dollars. You don't even, you don't need anything. And so that's going to be a hard thing until they, I don't know, until they make, until hip hop gets so whatever it is that it's just not cool anymore. Mm. And the kids create something else, but whatever they create at this point in time, I think it's going to be hip hop because yeah, what I mean, they're it's doing be like now, I would never have right? considered, I would never have considered hip hop. But it's yeah. hip hop because it's just, it's the spirit. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah, I don't think, that, you know, the spirit can't die. The spirit can't die. So mm. I don't, I don't, unlike the other genres, um, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see it. And our world is becoming so small and diverse mm. in that it's, small you know what i mean like every like we're a whole lot more alike than we're different much to you know as as shocking as that may be to certain certain people and certain groups of people like absolutely the world you know you go you go anywhere in the world these kids are all doing the same thing (laughs) yeah i mean it's a mega international cultural force i mean it's a global force yes Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what have you thought, like, over the years when white rappers have used being white as a gimmick? I mean, like, the the names like Vanilla Ice or Snow or Lil White. Or uh, Milk Bone. Milk Bone. (laughs) 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 Young Black Teenagers, which was a group of white kids. Yeah, yeah, well, Black's a state of mind. I noticed you shuddered on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Black's a state of mind. You know that. Um, That's it, man. I mean, so where is that imitation then or is that immersion? Like, where does that, I guess that's interesting. See, I think it, that's, it's interesting. that's fully immersion, right? 
I don't know if people so remember immer- young black teenagers. Immersion to because it's interesting to see like who you know like who used what. So like we said, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, I think Eminem you know, kind of used immersion and inversion, right? Stayed away from imitation, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Um, Young black teenagers, I would say, is maybe immersion and imitation because of that gimmicky kind of like... You do have a white dude with dreadlocks in the group too, right? He's still around too, man. He's Um, still around. uh, I think all those guys are still around. Yeah, Cameron, he, um, the original Cameron, right? The original <laughs> the Cameron. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so um, if people out there don't remember these guys, there was a group of five white kids called themselves Young Black Teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, and even the title of one of their songs um, claimed that, you know, one of their dads had called them the N-word because they loved hip-hop Because they loved so the much. rap, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were like the, we're totally down that's so it. much so that we consider ourselves black because like yeah. I said, black is a state of mind. And they were young and teenagers. And they at were the also same time. young and teenagers. Yeah. Of course, their first single was Nobody Knows I Did Kelly Bundy, which is really black. Um <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. But hey. hey. Um I still love Tap the Bottle. Tap the bottle. Down, down. <laughs> Listen, they picked up like a DOS effects kind of flow for them. was a joint, man. I like that. <laughs> Twist the cap. Yeah, that was a joint. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, you were asking me what? What were you saying? What, were you asking <laughs> what do you think about the use of whiteness or white identity as a gimmick? Like if you got to name your, your dude from Toronto with like fake patois named yeah. Snow. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a hip hop thing. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I can't, I can't be mad at that and then love the fat boys, right? <laughs> like, we kind of take hip hop, kind of takes the thing that you're gonna see first. That's it, and we own it. That's that's what hip hop is, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm Heavy D. Yeah, you know, so yeah, that's all good. I have Chub no rock. I, yeah, I got no issue with that. Okay. I got no issue with. I got no issue with that. So if I presented you with a list Let's of white it. rapper names, could you tell me what was real and what was fake? Uh, game show. I could certainly try. Okay. Well, let's do it. let's let's do this. Let's go. Yeah. Um, let's go one for one. Okay. I've got a little list here myself. Really? You got white rapper names? Yeah. Okay. Well, just white rappers. But okay. Yeah. Okay. So the first one I'm going to toss you is easy. Bubba Sparks. Bubba Sparks. Yeah, real or fake? Um, I would say. And by real or fake, I mean does he exist, or did I just make oh! up this name? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't mean you to judge his credibility. I'm totally um, thing. I, I, um, oh, no, yeah, like, yeah. is this a real dude? Yeah, Bubba Sparks is Bubba Sparks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, wore the overalls in the video. His name's Bubba. Yeah, big yeah. white I, dude from the yeah. south. I thought we were. I thought we were. Um, <laughs> you know, speaking on you know maybe what, what aspect, what pillar Ooh. they they fall under. We could get into that too. We yeah. could. Yeah, I was thinking just names. So, so what name did you have for me? Who were you? I, I don't because I was thinking about something totally different. So ah, give me, okay. give me, give me the quiz, and then we'll get into that. Okay, yeah, let's do this one first. <laughs> so these again, these are just white rapper names. Some of them I made up. Or their names of other I'm, things than rappers, and then I'm some going, of them are real white rappers. So, I'm okay. going to fail at this, but 
Okay, what about Haystack? I, I, I remember a Haystack. Yeah, he's real. real. Yeah, Haystack with a K. Yeah, yeah. How about Butta Versus? Never heard of him. Ah, he opened for De La Soul. He was real. See? He existed. Um, White Lightning. I hope not. Yeah, yeah, he's real. <laughs> <laughs> White Lightning. How about Jesus. White Richard? I definitely hope not. Okay, White Richard was fake. Okay, I hope All not. Right. Yeah. How yeah. about Pale Fire? No. Uh, Nabokov novel. Yeah, that's, that's not a rapper. <laughs> um, how about Hardy White? Hardy White. Never heard of him. I'm going to say no. Uh, yeah, that's a bread. Okay. <laughs> that is a bread. Yeah. How about White Rascal? White Rascal? I think that's a trick one because that sounds like a rapper. I'm going to say no. Yeah, that's a beer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those wit beers. Mm -hmm. uh, how about White Darren? No. Man. No. Okay. <laughs> Good call. How about Mini Thin? Mini Thin? Mini Thin. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's like a, a fake trucker speed you buy at the truck stop. Mini Thin. It's like a Bronco dilator kind of thing. Diet pills. Okie dokie. That's hilarious. Yeah, but that's also a rapper. That's a rapper Get from West Virginia. Named himself many things. See, oh, if you said white rapper from West Virginia, I'd have been like, nah, that doesn't exist. So <laughs> this is the dude. I may have sent you a picture. He in one video he had on a Confederate flag hockey mask. Wow! And you he did was not selling them on his site. You yeah. did not send me that. That is, uh, interesting. I probably didn't want to fucking terrify you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not something to be sending people. It's it's uh, a pretty terrifying image. Uh, that would have made me laugh. Yeah, it's a a hockey mask with just the Confederate flag mm. on it. Okay. So the last one is Big Chuck. Big Chuck. Big Chuck. Why not? Yeah, you're right. He's another West Virginia guy. Why not? <laughs> All right. That was the white rappers, real or fake. I didn't do bad. I didn't you do did bad. okay. I didn't I keep didn't score, but you yeah. got most of them. I'm sure the audience keeps going. I think I got you with White Rascal. You got me with White Rascal and another one. I can't remember. But um, so in turn, mm -hmm. I'm going to do, uh, we're going to do, I'm going to throw some names out. To you. Mm. I have a um a list, and this list spans. It's a pretty good list. It's a pretty good list. This spans um a lot of errors here. I'm gonna wow. throw some guys out to you, and you tell me, or we'll discuss whether we go immersion, imitation, mm. inversion, or you know, two out of three. Or some how brand new goes. path I didn't think of back in two thousand five. Yeah, right? how about that? And then yeah. and then we'll we'll uh or we can just go, I have no idea. <laughs> let's do it. But I'm counting on I'm counting on you to know. Uh, so, so we're gonna go have a, a white professor judge white rappers and see if they're authentic. <laughs> well, not so much auth well, I guess I guess it, I guess this this I guess these three components will issue an authenticity rating at the end, I right? Guess like, so. I guess that's oh. how, I guess based on these, it's like, well, your authenticity rating is X, Y, Z. We're not going to do that today, but yeah, I, you're What's right. Their, I guess it is, it is a bit of an authenticity rating. Authenticity strategy. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. All right, let's go. Um, let's start early. We'll say uh, third mm-hmm. base. Third base. Okay. So imitation, immersion, or inversion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say deep inversion. Or I'm sorry, immersion. Um, Search was there, man. He was... Yeah. yeah, I mean, Search was like the guy, the white guy in all the old hip hop pictures from like the Latin Quarter. Um, he was out there doing it way before Third Base became a group. Karis One tells a story of Search being in like the hospital when Scott Larock. Yeah, oh, gotcha. you know, like <laughs> he was there, right? like ready to get busy, like yo, let's yeah. go, like, let's do something, like you know, Search is yeah. Search was in the Latin Quarter, and yeah, he's he's yeah. Now, did he later on pay the black artists that he signed and worked with as well as he should have? It depends on on who you listen to. Yeah, depends on the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did have the anti-racist verse, you know, black cat is bad luck, bad Bad guys guys wear black. Must have been a white guy who thought of all that. Yeah, I think that the young black teenagers were probably taking that route and they probably probably taking the third base route. In terms of immersion, they probably went a little too far. I think so. Yeah, I think that was the model for them. And I always thought, too, you know, Third Base had three members, and Mm -hmm. the DJ was a core component of the group. Yes, he was. They always had a black DJ, especially on, um, they had DJ Richie Rich for Derelict's Dialect, and he would showcase the hell out of him. From my hood, East Flatbush. Really? Yeah. Really, East Flatbush. He grew up like three blocks from me. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I used to play football with him. Hey, so, I mean, is it fair to call third base a white group? Older than me, but, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, how about that? One third black. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I'd say he was a a pretty key component of that group. He was. He was a hell of a DJ, too. Yeah. Hell of a DJ. So, we're going to go, we're going to go immersion and a decent decent, um, authenticity uh, mark for third base, right? Yeah. not sure if, well, depends on what um, era we're talking about, but let's go Kid Rock. Mm. Now we talk, you're right, because he's Kid Dynamite, right? Or so, what was he Oh, so if I'm supposed to score first, if I'm supposed to, to give my answer first, I want to go imitation. Mm. Um, he was a white kid in Detroit. Walking around with the high top fade in the mm-hmm. early nineties, mm-hmm. and he named his first album "Grit Sandwiches for Breakfast." <laughs> I'm gonna say imitation mm. with like a weird turn into An sort imitation. of redneck nationalism down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, imitation Dixie, which then when you yeah. again place that in context with being from Detroit, is like. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those Detroit guys love the South, man. It's weird. Yeah. Detroit white guys. Yeah. Strange. Strange. Isn't, um, who else is from Detroit or Michigan at least? Yeah. I don't know. A couple of those good, those rock dudes. Uh, Jack Black. Yeah. Jack but Black's in there. Jack Black or Jack White. Pretty. Jack White. <laughs> Jack White. Jack, Jack White. Black's the, uh, Comedian. comedian, right? Yeah, my fault. <laughs> Jack White, White Stripes, yeah. Ted Nugent uh, is from Michigan, right? I have no idea where Ted Nugent is from, my man. I think so. I think he's a Michigan guy. 
yeah, we shouldn't even talk about them. <laughs> no, no. Um, Everlast. Everlast. So yeah, Everlast front man for House of Pain. He had a solo Slash album House out first. Yeah. He was part of Ice-T's Rhyme Syndicate. Yes, he was. Um, Later on, took a rock turn, did Whitey Ford. Whitey Ford sings the blues. Yeah. You know, I always thought it was interesting also the way- La Coca Nostra. La Coca Nostra with <laughs> Bill Bill and those guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean- He's- he, he's probably played in various various categories over the years, right? He's been it's all hard, over. It's hard to peg him, yeah. I mean, with <laughs> House of Pain, it was always interesting to me how focused they were on saying they were Irish. Yeah, that was kind of their gimmick. Because, yeah, you heard Everlast's first album. He never mentioned being Irish once or no. you know, didn't have anything to say about Shamrocks or St. Patrick's Day or Guinness or anything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's in this group House of Pain and just, you know shout and cram it down your throat we're irish it's like they were saying we're not exactly white like vanilla ice (laughs) we're we're irish now is that is that because i think it's definitely a response to the vanilla ice kind of phenomenon right yeah i think so but i think that becomes kind of a precursor to the Eminem thing, they just used like you like you said, they took a cultural yeah. kind of stance to say, like, we're not trying to be black. Mm-hmm. We are Irish and pepperers. <laughs> yeah. Right? And kind of just took that, you know, took that for a ride for yeah. a couple albums and did pretty good. I mean, they, they found a form of whiteness, kind of the same way Bubba Sparks would do a few years later, right? The redneck, like yeah. rural and, um, Southern Irish. And, and Yellow Wolf, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know even if everybody from House of Pain was Irish. You know, I know Everlast is. I'm not sure. I guess, I guess, I guess Danny Boy was. I yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's okay. It's only two thirds Irish. DJ mm. Lethal was Latvian. Okay, that makes sense. So just like third base, they were they were two thirds white or two thirds Irish. Mm. You know, around the same time, you probably remember Blood of Abraham. I do. Or maybe you don't. I do. I do. Easy E's group. Easy E's Jewish rap yeah, group. Jewish rap group. Yeah. They didn't quite get the fame that House of Pain did, but it was a similar move. You know, it's not just some white guys trying to look or act or sound black the way mm. that uh, Vanilla Ice have been accused of. You know, they're very clearly Jewish, and right. they're going to talk about being Jewish and what that's about. Right, 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 right. Didn't really work. Right. Well, let's fast forward. Yeah. And um, kind of talk about generation now. Mm. Um. And how that fits into like this dynamic. So Post Malone and Little oh. Dicky and Machine Gun Kelly and G Easy and um on the latest um phenom, Jack Harlow. Mm-hmm. Who's from my hometown of Louisville. Yeah. Yeah, so we starting with any particular one or just take them as a group? Um, let's let's just take them as a group. Mm. Or any, you know, anything that sticks out to you. What do you think? Like is the pressure because I guess the question is, the question is, mm. does that pressure exist anymore? I don't feel like the um highlighting 
of the significance of ghetto blackness as a model of authenticity yeah. and hipness is a pressure that the white rapper of today needs to take on. Some of them still do. Hmm. But I don't know that it's a must. So I guess there's a bridge, you know, from the old era to the brand new era. And I'll just throw in a quick bridge with Paul Wall, Mm -hmm. whose debut solo album came out like right after I published that article back in 2005. So I I missed him. You know, he hadn't really emerged as a solo star. So Pitchfork wrote about him. Paul Wall is probably the first white rap star who doesn't feel the need to talk about his race. Mm. That's going all the way back to 2005 again. I think that didn't exactly hold true for most of the white rappers who came out in that era. Right. Agreed. But I think it's a little bit truer today. Like with Jack Harlow in particular, I mean, I appreciate seeing some of the uh, Louisville, Kentucky landmarks in his videos. Um, He's definitely going the immersion route because he's worked with everybody. Correct. Um, He's always hanging out with NBA stars. He's done songs with Lil Wayne. I would would say the same for g Easy. True. And Mac Miller and most like I, most of the guys yeah. today, I think, are just part of the community. Even when you talk about you know Macklemore and his meteoric kind of yeah. um, thing, he, he his biggest tour, he had Big Crit and Talib Kweli mm-hmm. opening for him. Yeah, but you know he did two songs about white privilege. He did. He did. So, he did. I mean, I think he still feels he and, did, and sort of apologized for winning the Grammy. The text <laughs> that he um, famously, yeah, yeah, for winning the Grammy to, over Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's a little panderish, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, I know, think that's probably the main shift, like you said, that we kind of seen post, you know, 2005 is that, that, um, yeah. That pressure, and I think that that has a lot to do with Eminem, but also has a lot to do with Kanye and Mm -hmm. Drake, and kind of the relaxing of the pressure to being so like hyper street to be like at the top of the rap game. It was, it was, you no longer had to be. So now you have these suburban black kids, you have uh. Tyler the Creator, you have these kids who are like, sure. we're not tough guys. And they're winning as black artists because Absolutely. we're not a monolith. And you know what I mean? There is room for all kinds of images to exist. And so that relaxed a little bit of the, you know, need for the imitation. Yeah, I totally I think agree. from, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's a pretty that's a pretty uh interesting dynamic. And, you know, it's kind of returned to where you got guys doing the same styles, or I'm sorry, very different styles on the same song. Yeah. So you can have Jack Harlow on a song with Lil Wayne, and they're not talking about the same kind of stuff necessarily. Right, right. But they rhyme over the same beat. It's almost like if you go way back, you had De La Soul touring with N.W.A., and then there was like a real split where, you know, you would never see those guys on the same bill for like 20 years or so. No, exactly, exactly. And I think a lot of that was um, you know, done by corporate. Yeah. I mean, once you sat once you started having so many artists, then it was easy to then say categories, you know, 
gangster yeah, rap, for sure. this type of rap, that type of rap. And I yeah. think that those lines are starting to blur a little bit now for sure. You know, when you see Drake and Little Baby and, you know what I mean? Or you see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whoever and whoever, you know, um, Future and Little Uzi Vert or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah. yeah, so I think that, uh, I don't know. We're we're probably in a decent place for white rappers right now. I think I think we're in a pretty comfortable spot. Yeah, I'd say rappers in general. You know, yeah. um, well, it's um, a little more well, open right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you not know, so like, sure. Well, because of the drill and just the killing and just the, there's yeah. that whole thing. But That's outside true. of that, which is a big thing and mm-hmm. you know needs to be addressed. Um, I think that uh, in terms of your entry into it, and especially because of, you know, just the way um, artists are able to like get their thing popping, it's every, you know, it's, 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 it's wide open. If we like your song, you're on. You're right. I don't know that we've ever seen a high profile white rapper murdered. Yeah. Well, there's that part too. And then you're coming in, you don't need a cosign anymore mm-hmm. right so and that's a big part that we didn't get into it about like the cosign from the established True. black artists yeah and absolutely. how that lend to the authenticity most famously dr dre and eminem or like you said run dmc and the beastie boys mm-hmm. you know like um even um search um you know, and, and sure. Prime Minister Pete, third base, like that, having that Def Jam stamp oh, absolutely. meant a lot, meant a lot, you know what I mean? And so, you know, when Jack Harlow is, um, I think, with uh, DJ Drama. Yeah. And uh, Asher Roth before him was first mixtape yes. was DJ Drama mixtape. Yes. Yes. So, you know what I mean? But I don't, you know, and then you got, the, you know, the other, like the little you know the little whoever's and they just they're coming out of nowhere and they're just you know it's just a song it becomes big there's no real you know cosign maybe whether they're industry plants is a whole nother conversation but um i think that's 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 helping things as well there and, and there's, there's no you know the gatekeepers are kind of have kind of been neutralized in many ways from a cultural standpoint like what you said kind of like the policing that we were able to do or kind of like the you had to pay your dues you had to come in through these avenues which was good and bad because some of this stuff kind of does need to be regulated especially from you know like a skill standpoint from a preparation standpoint that's you know, true if, if there were more big homies, so to speak, that were like, hey, I take you under my wing. I groom you and prepare you to, um, you know, get into the industry. That would be great. That used to be the setup. Yeah. 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 So, you know, with with the good comes the bad, but I think that, you know, that's the, um, it's kind of, like I said, the unique thing to today's um, white Rapper, white MC. It's dope. And a lot of these kids, yeah. you know, can really rap. Most of those names yeah, we rang off are rappers. <laughs> a lot can. A lot can. <laughs> we didn't name any of those. But you yeah. know, a lot of a lot of a lot of everybody can't rap right now. So it's true. 
You know, and just what I said, if you take Jack Harlow, G Easy, the late great Mac Miller, uh Little Dicky, Action Bronson, Machine Gun Kelly, these are all guys who've emerged in say the last five to ten, right? Yeah, closer um, to ten on a lot you of take them. Take at what LP's doing with um Run the Jewels. Yeah. These all these guys can rap. That's true. They can rap. So even, you know, if they're doing like, you know, Jack is kind of doing the bounce, you know, the trap stuff, not trap, like just the beats, the you know what I mean? How it sounds. But the prerequisite is they all can rap. And that kind of goes to that proving yourself kind of thing in that immersion kind of thing of like, I'm going to take this art form seriously when I yeah, enter it. Sure. Yeah, because the gimmick's not going to work. Yeah, and I think Jack Harlow's been doing it since he was 13 or 14. You know, you see some yeah. of the old videos of him and like high school, maybe even junior high. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that's Pretty a good cool, thing. Man. Um, yeah, we'll, for we'll, real. We'll, we'll give a link to that article. Definitely. In the bio and and stuff, some more so. updated stuff from other people. Nice, nice. So folks can check it out. Um, All right. So not much of an extravaganza. I hope <laughs> that, um, you know, folks didn't think we were just going to, you know, celebrate and kind of uh, go crazy over the white rapper phenomenon. But I think it was a, um, you know, cool little talk, cool little thing. I, like I said, I enjoyed that article. Oh, cool, and, man. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, we, we can- I, I, I look forward to an update. We could name it a measured, reasonable discussion of white rappers. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, that's catchy <laughs> right there. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll get them going. Get but it, it'll man. protect you from any. <laughs> <laughs> Can't celebrate them too much. Yeah, it's oh, a bad man. luck. Oh, yeah, man. it tends to make people uncomfortable when you see a white person really celebrating being white. Ah, well, you know. Hey, look. Be white and proud, man. <laughs> um, I'm not getting on board with that one. <laughs> oh man, well let's get out of here, man. Let's this do was it, a, man. Uh, this was a good this was a good app. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. Uh so signing off another episode of A Guest in the House Podcast. That's it. I am um David Tromdig Shanks. And I'm Becky Hess. See you next time. good to be successful and have financial status but if you only go in there for the money you only reach a, a certain status and I'm in there for greatness and peace of mind and I'm sure I, I love the sport if I went in there just for the financial back, back, background I wouldn't do as well as I'm doing now